real news. All right, let's try this again. Hopefully you can hear me on air now. So uh, we've been having technical difficulties over at Red State all morning. Uh, so I'm going to start this up again. So welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. It's April 7th, 2020, and it's two days till... Uh, do I want to say Good Friday Eve for the majority of the Christian population? Mm, yeah. It's going to be pretty incredible. Uh, we're going to have an insane week. Uh, as always, I'm here 12 to 2, Monday through Friday, breaking it down for all of you. So that way you can parse apart what is being said and how it's being said. We have a lot to talk about uh, today. There is so much out there. Uh, you know, a lot of information is coming out. The president just, you know, put the World Health Organization into the spotlight. I thought this was a very convenient time to talk about the information I have on Tedros, who is the Ethiopian foreign minister. He was a former minister of health there. He's the one that you see on TV talking about vaccines. He's the guy that doesn't want to recognize Taiwan, all those things. Now, who is he? I could tell you one thing. He He's really good friends, well, was really good friends with Jeffrey Epstein, and he and the Clintons worked together in regards to monies that were being given um, to Ethiopia to pilot out test medical programs. Not only that, he has, uh, you know, on the record, really good relationships with the Clintons. China, 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 China. I told you, we've created the CCP a long, long time ago. We're talking 80 years ago, we created them. And this is just, uh, you know, them calling in and rolling it out. That's basically it. We're seeing a lot of changes globally in regards to this coronavirus. But uh, today, we're going to go back in time and talk about how, uh, you know, Tedros is coming into this and how... Uh, you know, this was all part of the plan because guess who Barack Hussein Obama had his hands all over this, you know, European union going forward, making sure that it was right. And, you know, it looks like Boris Johnson was coronavirus. But what do we know about Dominic Rab? We'll talk about that too today to understand who's going to be stepping in from the for the United Kingdom. Because keep in mind, what the crown does in England affects the rest of the commonwealths, such as Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and all their other massive amount of territories globally. So to start off uh, today's show... Uh, before we enter into the really, really evil and nefarious things that are happening in New York. Now, other people are talking about it now, too. Other people are making statements, too. But, you know, Red State was always ahead of the game on this, wasn't it? Because we've been telling you about the mislabeling of deaths for a very long time. But I'm concerned of what's to come of it. And that's the concern we should all have. Now, I'm going to start off with none other than my favorite, uh, Tucker Carlson, who asked the question, how long will these lockdowns actually last? Take a listen. Know that intensive care is not something that doctors recommend lightly. Boris Johnson is clearly in danger tonight. And that's a bad sign. Johnson is in his mid-50s and hale enough to lead a country. 
If this can happen to him, a lot of us should be worried. And we are worried, worried enough to endure things that just a month ago would have seemed preposterous. Last week, Dr. Michael Ryan, he's a leader at the World Health Organization, announced that in response to the spread of this virus, authorities may have to enter people's homes and remove family members, presumably by force. In most parts of the world, due to lockdown, most of the transmission that's actually happening in many countries now is happening in the household, at family level. In some senses, transmission has been taken off the streets and pushed back into family units. Now we need to go and look in families to find those people who may be sick and remove them and isolate them in a, in a safe and dignified manner. Just so you know, we're coming to your house, seizing your children and, quote, isolating them in a safe and dignified manner, whatever that means. Now, that's not something that under normal circumstances, officially, officials casually drop during briefings. It's the kind of statement that might trigger violence. People don't respond well when you threaten to take their kids. But Ryan said it like it was no big deal, and that's how the media treated it. His threat didn't make headlines in any of the major newspapers in this country. That's the kind of moment we're in. So how long will this moment last? Well, on Friday, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, predicted that the first in a series of lockdowns will go on until June. One of the things that just concerns me, it's not one of those immediate concerns, but is, you know, this draws out through the summer and then, then the cold weather comes around and then there's another wave of it. How do you, as a leader, how do you think about this? Early on when people said, is this just going to be a few days or a couple of weeks? I said, no, I think it's at least two months. And I said, if we're successful in this, we can expect a second spike in the late fall or early winter. That's how viruses work. We better steel ourselves for a second and maybe even third round of this. But we also need to be nimble enough to know we're not going to flip a switch one day and turn the economy back on. A quote, second and maybe even third round of lockdowns. That's a long time. Former Obama official Jason Furman, who's now an economist at Harvard, predicts the disruption may be even more severe than that. Quote, we should certainly be prepared for a meaningful level of deliberate suspension of economic activity for the rest of the year. Well, it'd be nice to know that there's a good reason for all of this. And of course, everyone wants there to be a good reason, sincerely. Yet the arguments for a prolonged national lockdown are starting to sound strained. In a much discussed article on Medium recently, two academics from Pittsburgh argued that lifting the lockdown at all, even many months from now, would be negligent. Quote, as long as a large majority of the population remains uninfected, lifting containment measures will lead to an epidemic almost as large as would happen without having mitigations in place at all. Well, that sounds plausible when you read it. In fact, it sounds like science. But is it science? A large majority of the population remains uninfected, they say. But is that true? We don't know it's true. As of today, nobody can say what percentage of the American population is infected or has been infected. There haven't been large-scale randomized tests conducted here. We don't even know when the disease first arrived in the United States. There's informed speculation that this strain of coronavirus has been here since late November or December. Authorities traced the first confirmed case to January 15th in Washington state. An unnamed 35-year-old Chinese immigrant landed in the United States after visiting his family in Wuhan and wound up in a hospital outside Seattle. Apparently, he recovered. Now, depending on how you count, the virus has been circulating among us for up to four months now. For most of that time, there was no systematic attempt to quarantine the population. How many Americans were infected over that period? Again, we don't even have a ballpark number for that. 
But the number could be enormous because the virus turns out to be much easier to transmit than we thought it was. On Friday, you may have noticed the CDC issued new guidance on mask use. The government now recommends wearing, quote, cloth face coverings in public. Why'd they make that change? Because researchers are learning more about how this virus moves from person to person. Scientists now believe the coronavirus can be transmitted by someone who shows no symptoms merely by speaking. Remember when they told you that hand washing was the key to staying safe? That recommendation was based on the belief the virus lived mostly on surfaces, and that's not the case. We're still not exactly sure how the virus is spread, but among some populations, and this is interesting to know, it appears to be astonishingly widespread. An article in the Italian media last Thursday, for example, described a blood drive in a village in Lombardy. That's in the northern part, the most infected part of the country. Of the 60 people who showed up to give blood, 40 tested positive for coronavirus. None had shown symptoms of it. None knew they had it. Keep in mind that Lombardy has been strictly locked down by government order since March 9th. That's almost a month ago. Yet about 70 percent of this group got it anyway. A report from Hong Kong in February suggested that a woman diagnosed with the coronavirus may have infected others 10 floors away in the same apartment building, even though she never came into contact with any of them. Health officials concluded the virus likely traveled through plumbing pipes to different apartments. And it wasn't a wild guess. In 2003, an outbreak of SARS spread the same way. So it's starting to look like the coronavirus is more transmissible than we expected or were told. The good news is it also seems far less lethal overall. People are still dying in large numbers. Not all of them are sick or old, and that's terrifying to watch. But as the data trickle in, there's evidence that many infected people are not sick. Iceland has tested a larger percentage of its population than any country in the world. They've tested about 5% of all citizens. The United States, by comparison, has tested 0.3%. So far, about half those who've tested positive in Iceland have been completely asymptomatic. So given all of this, what is a wise response to this pandemic? Historically, health officials have used quarantines to contain infectious diseases. Until now, a quarantine consisted of separating the sick from the general population and then doing everything possible to protect the especially vulnerable. In this case, that would include the elderly and the immunosuppressed, among other groups. We have a pretty good idea that targeted quarantines work. They've been used for centuries around the world. But that's not what we did. Instead, the United States and many other countries instituted mass quarantines in which governments shut down entire nations for long periods. That's never happened before. Now, mass quarantine makes sense if you're fairly certain it will prevent mass infection. But are we certain of that? Well, despite what you might hear on television, we are not certain of that still. In fact, there are some indications it hasn't been as effective as we'd hoped it would be. Italy imposed one of the toughest lockdowns in Europe. Almost a month later, as we just told you, an overwhelming majority of at least one town has been infected with the virus anyway. Now, it's possible to imagine that a mass quarantine might stop transmission of a virus. It might work if it actually separated people, if citizens were forced to stay in their homes and not have any interaction with other people. But we're not doing that in the United States. We never will do that here. Too many Americans live alone, for one thing. People would starve to death. Instead, the directive we're living under is this. Stay home except to buy food. The one place you can go is the supermarket, or by the way, everyone else in your neighborhood has been this week. From an epidemiological standpoint, this is lunacy. If you wanted to infect an entire population, you'd encourage everyone in a specific zip code to meet regularly in one enclosed location. It doesn't make sense. 
So this makes absolutely no sense, right? So we're all supposed to be uh, going out to shop for food in places that we know everyone is aggregating, uh, in places that we know everyone is touching things. I remember uh, just just the other day when I went out with um, my daughter to pick up some supplies, uh, you know, I was touching things, reading labels, and I'm thinking, how many other people touched it? Hmm. This doesn't sound very sound, does it? And then you can't even order online because the wait is too long. So if you're out of food, you're going to probably have to wait a week and then they charge you for the transport. And then you don't even know if you're going to get what you want. I mean, using Amazon service for Whole Foods, for example, there are no dates. It's booked solid. You can't even order food if you wanted to. So you're kind of stuck. You're super stuck. So what do you do? Uh, do you go out and get food or don't you get food? Or do you order in fast food where the guy might be coughing all over your food? So this doesn't make sense. We're all locked down in our homes. We're not supposed to be interacting. And yet we're going to places where if the virus, as they say, uh, stays on surfaces, you're definitely bringing it home with you. So now we see a lot of people going out in scuba gear and wearing all these get-ups just to buy themselves water, food, and in general. So what do you do? Do you stand outside of your house and wipe them all down with like rubbing alcohol to make sure you don't bring it in with you if, they, if it survives on services? You don't. So there's something else going on here that's not being said. And the agenda is kind of trickling out slowly. Number one, they want mass vaccinations because apparently, even though science says different, you can inoculate against the virus, which you can't. And number two, they want to come to your house and take your kids because you're sick. So we're just going to take your kids and put them in a safe place. We've heard CPS say that to many, many families before that have never seen their children again. Some of them put in the hands of traffickers. Some of them put in their hands in the hands of people that kill the children themselves. Yet, you know, safe places. This is all starting to trickle out. The most important trickle out that we're seeing is the one coming out from New York. Now, yesterday I made mention of Mark Levin's, uh, you know, announcement of what he wants to do. So here is an announcement today from Governor Cuomo, who, you know... The left is uh, <laughs> wanting to kind of promote. Take a listen to what he says today. Testing is part of that. Uh, also, rapid testing to determine whether or not you have the virus now exists. They have, quote, unquote, 15-minute tests that are commercially available. But again, they have to be brought to scale. Uh, no private company has the capacity to bring those to scale. So I was speaking with Governor Murphy uh, and Governor Lamont. Uh, we are interested in working with private companies that can actually in bring this testing capacity to scale and to scale quickly. Because, again, if you have the antibody testing, that's part if you can then test if a person is positive for the virus and you can do it that day and you can get those results in 15 minutes, uh, that's also another way to get back to life and do it quickly. So uh, we're very interested in that in New York, so is New Jersey, so is Connecticut. Uh, 
These, there are private companies that have these tests. Again, it's all up to scale. We're starting them in the state of New York, but we only have about a 50,000-person testing capacity, which is nice, but uh, it's not of a scale that's actually going to make a large difference. So private companies that are interested in getting into this space and coming up to scale quickly, we are interested in those companies and we're interested in investing in those companies uh, and they should contact us at Empire State Development Corporation. The also restarting life, the state budget, not just this state, but uh, every state budget has been decimated by the situation. You shut down the economy. People aren't working, they're not paying income taxes, businesses aren't operating, so our budget just collapsed, right? Our revenues just collapsed. Uh, you want to restart the economy, you have to help restart the local governments, and that's going to be a federal act. Uh, I don't have the capacity as a governor, no governor does, to generate revenue in a positive way from an economy that's not operating that is going to be a federal stimulus bill. Uh, there's no other way to do this. And it has to be a stimulus bill that actually understands you have state and local governments that have to be brought up to speed and functioning if you want to facilitate this restarting of the economy. Federal government passed some legislation. Uh, as I've said uh, at the time, it was woefully inadequate from New York's point of view. We then have had some time to actually study the legislation. It actually gets worse when you read it, uh, and it's not even what was represented to us initially. So I'm sending our congressional delegation a letter today uh, saying uh, the past legislation uh, did good for the nation. I have no doubt gave aid to a lot of people in places that needed it. Where we still haven't seen it, though. But it was not fair to New York, uh, and that has to be remedied in any legislation that goes forward. What does he mean by fair? Let's, let's see. The last point, I know it's been a frustrating 37 days, but it's only been 37 days, on the other hand. I know it feels like a lifetime. It's been so disruptive, uh, so abrupt, so frightening, so disorienting. But Wait, here, let's go into more disorienting things. Take a listen to this. Um, here we go. Now, a New York City council member today is clarifying a series of tweets where he suggested that COVID-19 victims would have to be temporarily buried in city parks. Mark Levine of Manhattan now says that that type of burial is a contingency the city is preparing for. But if the death rate does drop, that it will not be necessary. Levine had tweeted earlier that the city soon will start temporary internment. Mayor de Blasio, though, said today that the city is not at a point where it needs those temporary burials. Now in New York... Huh. Temporary burials. Temporary... What does that even mean? So uh, think about it, you guys. This is the plan. 
they have been lying about the virus. They have been lying, well, lying about the virus and the fact that we have no idea what the numbers are. We have no idea how this, this is spread. You know, this could be from blood transfusions. This could be from your food, your water, the air. You have no idea how this virus spreads. It could just be that anyone that's vaccinated has it. I'm just saying. So we don't know. But what we do know is that people are dying and they're all being labeled as coronavirus. I have a friend of mine from New York because that's where I'm from. And she woke up the day before yesterday to her father dead. Her father had a stroke in his sleep. Best way to go, by the way, right? You're sleeping and then you just, you know, <laughs> die. I think that's the best ever. So he was, uh, you know, close to his 80s. And the guy was fine. They were up playing, you know, um, cards all night. You know, the family's hanging out the house. No one's sick. They had, they all had dinner. They all had fun. Grandkids, the family, the whole nine yards. He goes to the guest master that they have, uh, for their, um, for her family. And then there's another one for the in-laws because they're all staying together to look after them. And they go to bed and his wife wakes up next to him and she's like, whoa, he's kind of cold. So they call the ambulance. It comes, it gets the man takes him away. You know, he's dead, pronounced dead on the scene. He's been dead, you know, and he went away in his sleep. And guess what? The cause of death was labeled coronavirus. So this, this, this has to make you think the numbers are not there, obviously of people dying from coronavirus. They're also highly against using the anti-malaria drug that is helping people combat this virus, right? In India, they were using this specific uh, medication to protect doctors and nurses. Now, I've taken this myself. Why aren't we doing that? If nurses are so scared, they don't have, why don't they give them the anti-malaria drug? So that way, it's preventative. Because that's why you take the medication before you fly out to countries in Africa and the Middle East and South America that have instances of malaria. So why aren't we using it? Oh, because then people aren't going to die because we're seeing CNN, CBS, ABC, all the mainstream media outlets upset that people are not dying. And like I said, when they came out with their numbers, they're going to have to own these numbers. And I'm so glad that the president is allowing them to speak the numbers because they can't come back and say, well, President Trump, you said, I didn't say anything. It was the coronavirus task force. And that's not me. I am the president and I take, you know, information from these people, which by the way, Burks is certified in immunology and epidemiology, but her actual medical practicing license does not exist. MD, PhD does not exist. So she doesn't have a license to practice medicine. That doesn't mean that she doesn't know what she's talking about. Let me get that straight. Because just because you don't have a license to practice medicine doesn't mean you went to medical school and are dumb. It means you don't practice. And of course she's not practicing because she's part of this whole World USAIDS, you know, PEPFAR, the, the World Health Organization. She doesn't look at 
a patient. She doesn't treat a patient. She treats numbers. She looks at statistics, epidemiology, and the science behind it. So, you know, I know a lot of people want to knock her for not being a doctor MD um, that's active, but that's not a really valid argument, okay? Now, moving along, so we have all these people telling us that all these people are going to die. The numbers aren't there. In Chicago, if you get shot, it's coronavirus. You know how many people get shot over the weekend in Chicago. You'll be surprised that a lot of them are labeled coronavirus. Now we have, you know, the city of New York stating that, yeah, we're looking at temporary burials, which everyone will be against because once the truth comes out of how this virus is so smart, right, and how it's been there for longer than just a few months, and one would have to wonder, well, why is it active now? What? Mm, I don't know, man. Maybe it's just when you're tested, you get sick. I don't know. But the the bizarre part is once people realize how smart it is, they themselves will be advocating to burn the bodies. And if you burn the bodies, you can't check to see if the person actually died from coronavirus. And this virus is looking more and more like HIV. Tons of people can have HIV, yet not exhibit any symptoms, just be carriers. So think, what is the end game here, aside from the fact of holding us hostage to fear? Listen to what he says. But it's only been 37 days, right? Everything in context and everything in perspective. Uh, I know it's tough to get up every day, and this is like Groundhog Day, living through this bizarre reality that we're in. Uh, It's even more difficult, I think, with the weather changing and you feel the seasons changing and it's getting nicer and uh, you start to open a new book of possibilities and, uh, you know, now the weather's getting nice and I should be getting outdoors and I should be doing this and I should be doing this. I get it. But it's only been 37 days. And I started by saying those numbers of cases... That's not arbitrary. What we do affects the number of cases. Our behavior affects the number of cases. We're generating the cases. They're not descending on us from heaven, right? It's our behavior. So it's been 37 days. The 1918 pandemic that we talk about peaked in New York for six months came through in three waves, and it peaked for six months. 30,000 people died in New York during that pandemic. Why? They didn't react the way we did. They didn't know as much as we know today. They didn't have the same drug therapies. But we are changing the curve in in that virus growth. You see that plateauing, that's because of what we are doing. If we don't do what we are doing, that is a much different curve. And that's what happened in the past. So social distancing is working. Well, you shut down all the businesses. I know. Well, you shut down all the schools. I know. But it is working. That's why you see those numbers coming down. 
here's the thing. They shut down businesses. They shut down schools. They shut down everything. But they didn't shut down the debt people have to pay. They didn't shut down anything. They've paused the city from moving, but you still have the calls from your credit card, your lease, your loan company, your uh, car insurance that you can't use right now. All of these people still want money even though you can't work. And I don't know about you guys, but you know, it's, it's even more difficult now to even file claims because if you're going through like your state's unemployment office or small, you're not getting anyone on the phone because they're not working. So it's kind of like a catch 22 right now. How do you move forward on this? How does America move forward on this? They're nice on terrifying you, telling you to go out in scuba year, telling you to go out, you know, with masks and gloves and to distance and keep six feet apart and, 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 but they're not telling you how to help yourself since they've taken the authority to shut it down, taken the authority to lock us up, taken the authority to make sure that they fine us if we actually go out to stretch our legs. Well, then why haven't taken the, why haven't they taken the authority uh, to help us survive during this, right? Because they've taken your right to be able to survive by working, your right to be able to survive by, uh, you know, uh, going out and working. <laughs> so what do you do? You still have to pay for your internet. You still have to pay for your cable, your cell phone, your health insurance, uh, you know, car insurance, credit cards, loans, car leases, you name it. You still have to pay, but you got no income coming in. And those guys aren't doing anything about the pause either. So these are questions that need to be answered, which by the way, the White House correspondence, <sighs> seriously, do you or I give, <sighs> I don't give any such, I, I don't care about the logistics. I don't care if you have two ventilators or five. That's none of my business. That is a logistic issue. Do you have mask logistic issue? Do you have people logistic? What I care about and what those reporters should be doing in that room is asking people are finding it difficult to get unemployment done. There's uh, questions being asked, papers being demanded, and they can't get it through. Small business loans are not working as they should. Uh, you know, credit card uh, calls are still coming in and people have no money. You know, what are you doing to control the credit agencies? What about car leases? What about car insurance? You're paying for car insurance. You know, do they forgive the payment since you're not driving? Or even if you are driving, should they forgive it since you don't have income to pay it? These are the things that are being, that should be addressed. This is what the people want to know. The president makes a statement, tells everyone about the logistic, tells everyone how everything is going. Then puts up the coronavirus, you know, task force to pull their own pants down, telling you how it's Armageddon. And then he answers questions. And the question should be about the people, not about logistics, not about China, not about that. The questions should be about the people, not Nipplegate, not who are we going to use for president? What do you think if Cuomo runs for president? What do you think if Newsom run, runs for Nobody cares. What we care about is how are we going to get help since our ability to work has been taken away from us? Nobody asked us to be put on lockdown. Nobody said, you know, yeah, sure, take my right away to work and, you know, I'll just figure it out. I'll just like eat my cat or my neighbor because I don't have any money and I'm not to leave. Uh, 
but you know, nobody said that. Nobody, nobody said, take away my livelihood. Nobody said to the small business owner with the bakery, oh, I have rent insurance and employees to pay. I've got tons of product that is going to be expiring and I can't use it anymore for my bakery and it's going to be spoiled. And that's thousands of dollars worth of product, but you know, a coronavirus. So I'm okay with losing everything I have. So I could come up on the other end with a credit score of zero and no business. That's basically the questions that we want answered. You've told us we can't work. You've told us we can't leave the house. You've told us all these things. Now, what are you telling us on how you're helping us? How are you helping us ensure that tomorrow when we come out of the other end, that we're not, you know, in a more compromising position? That's the question on everybody's mind. And that should be the first thing The first thing any journalist should ask, not, oh, do we have enough masks? Oh, are you prepared? It's not a gotcha moment. It is not a gotcha moment. It's a moment where you can ask the president questions that American people care about. What about the education? Uh, Are the schools getting funding? Are you getting Chrome tops? I mean, where's Bill Gates handing out computers to schools because everything's going cyber if he's such a, you know, humanitarian and not all about curving the population and trimming the fat. That's what we have to think about. Those are the things we want answered. That's how we get informed. We want to know, Hey, we have American citizens abroad. Like I said, I called my mother and I was like, yo, go with the embassy, get them here, get, get them to get you here. But she's ill. And she's like, Oh, my case is more complicated. I'm going to need a nurse and to fly. And I was like, they'll do it. Here's uh, you, you know, uh, we had uh, Pompeo talk about that and how he's getting him over here this morning. He had an announcement. I'm going to skip through to the seventh minute where he talks about disinformation. Here we go can lead the country forward and take down the levels of violence. We're monitoring that. We are still providing support for the Afghan National Security Forces, and we continue to work to get this process moving forward. Your um, first question was about uh, disinformation that we're seeing. Uh, we, we know that this is a global pandemic, and this is the time for every country to work together to resolve that. To do that, you have to be honest and transparent. Every country has that obligation. Uh, We do our best to do that every day to deliver the real data about the things we know, the things we learn. We do it in formal public channels. There's a couple hours every day where the president and the team, the task force team, come out and talk to the American people about what's going on uh, with the best information that we have available. Uh, We do that privately. We do that in our discussions. I was on the phone all morning with uh, counterparts from Kazakhstan and uh, from Egypt, to share with them the things we're learning, the best practices we have. HHS is doing the same thing. CDC is doing the same thing. But we have an expectation. That expectation is that every country will do that the same way. And every, every nation, be they a democracy or not, has to share this information in a transparent, open, efficient way. We, there are still lots of things we don't know. We can only know them when the data set, the global data set, is available to every party. It has to be accurate. It has to be timely. It can't be grudging. We need to let scientists from all across the global community, nation immaterial, best scientist wins, stare at this data, work on this data, and collaborate together. And you can't do that if nations choose to behave in ways that are inconsistent with that central idea. The idea of cooperation is more than just saying, yeah, sure, we'll get along. We're happy to 
uh, get along with you. The idea of cooperation entails so much more. It's so much more substantive that it needs to be transparent and timely and open. We have an expectation, and we're communicating that expectation to every country. And the phrase Wuhan virus? Nadia, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Nadia Brindisi with Alara Villa Television. Good morning, Mr. Secretary. Um, I have two questions on Iran first. Despite your effort to dry up money that Iran is spending on its proxies, Hezbollah emerged as the party in Lebanon now that provided services and helping people during this crisis of Corona. How do you counter this message? And on Iraq, uh, Kataib Hezbollah uh, threatened that they are not going to, uh, they are going to veto actually any nominated prime minister of Iraq. Do you take this threat seriously? Do they have any weight on deciding who's going to be the prime minister? So all the voices in Iraq will have some weight on who will be the next prime minister. I hope the most important voice there isn't Khatib Hezbollah. It isn't AAH. It's not terrorists. I hope it's the Iraqi people who have the ultimate say. What we've said consistently about the Iraqi political process is very simple. A leader who is put forward who's prepared to engage in the reforms that will build out a sovereign, independent Iraq on behalf of the Iraqi people and move away from the old sectarian model that ended up with terror and corruption. Any leader that's put forward that will do that, the United States is happy to support. And that's, that's, the, that's the gold standard. It's what we need. It's what, frankly, the Iraqi people need. It's why we want to have this strategic dialogue. It's that we want to begin to engage, to take down violence, to take down risk, to take down the threat from a resurgence of uh, terror there. Uh, that's the, the when we, when you talk about who'll decide who the next leader is. Our mission has been is to make sure that that next leader is reflected in what it is you see the people who were protesting before the virus broke out, the people who were protesting all across Iraq demanding a different political path forward. So I'm sure uh, the uh, Khatib Hezbollah folks will try to have their say. I'm hopeful that it will be the Iraqi people who ultimately decide who the next leader will be. On Iran, sir. Yeah, we, uh, we were in a big hole. Uh, previous administration gave the Iranians a whole lot of money. And we have done remarkable work to deny the regime the resources they need to continue to carry out their terror campaign. You, you describe a situation in, in Lebanon, I think, or perhaps in Syria, uh, where Hezbollah is operating. I can tell you this. Hezbollah has fewer dollars today to engage in nefarious activity than they did when President Trump took office. And they will continue to have fewer dollars tomorrow until they fundamentally get the Iranian regime to change its model. Uh, the, the model that says we're going to use resources, resources that could right now be going for the Iranian people to help take care of them when they're in a health crisis themselves. When we're going to use those resources to take weaponry into Iraq, to underwrite Hezbollah in Lebanon and threaten Israel, all of the things that the Iranians have engaged in for so long, even in this crisis, the Iranian regime hasn't ceased doing uh, that's most unfortunate. It's unfortunate for the people of Lebanon. It's unfortunate for the people of Syria. It's unfortunate for the people of Iraq. You referred to Khatib Hezbollah before this. Uh, and it's really unfortunate for the people of Iran. Uh, we, we hope that the people of Iran one day will get a, a regime with a, uh, with a change in outlook, a change which says, no, we want to respect what the Iranian people truly want. And when they do that, that'll be a fantastic thing. And we will reduce the threat that Iran will ever chase a nuclear weapon in the way that they were on a path toward chasing under the previous administration. So, so as you heard, uh, 
Secretary Pompeo is telling you about developments around the world right now that no one is talking about, which is elections, Iran, war, all these things. And all you see is coronavirus. We're not being told about anything else. We're not being told about how we're bringing American citizens home. We're not being told what measures that we're taking. You know, what's funny is that you know, in England, they actually made an announcement. Well, um, the new guy who's going to be stepping in and we'll talk about him in the next hour, because in the next hour, we're going to talk about Rob, uh, the guy that's stepping in for Boris Johnson that was coronavirus. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about outer space. Um, I think it's really important that we talk about the Moon Treaty and about space real estate, because this is coming into, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> into our optics, on our peripheral optics. Uh, you know, today, I think I just retweeted it uh, while uh, Secretary Pompeo was talking. But apparently, uh, you know, there's a new space policy that was released today, uh, according to the National Security Council, Council, an executive order on encouraging international support for the recovery of, like, uh, space stuff. So it's investments in commercial space innovators and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, for human exploration and the development of moon, Mars, and other destinations. Now we've all seen Elon Musk's, you know, banner where he's terraforming Mars. I mean, is it trying to reverse what has already happened? And, you know, I, and I think we should like kind of just talk about it a little bit and get that into our minds on Subscribestar. There'll be a story about that in regards to space real estate. Um, I will have, um, exclusive content, uh, just for my subscribers, uh, which will be talking about space real estate and how this is all coming in too. Uh, Thankfully, my computer is actually working better. So the technical difficulty in regards to connecting and putting everything together today wasn't my end. I'm just saying. So that'll be on there for my subscribers. I'm glad you guys are enjoying the content. I'm still trying to revive the other three recordings that I have uh, now that the computer uh, situation, thank you to Matthew, has been uh, rectified. So... Moving along, we have him talking about all these matters, and the only thing we see is coronavirus. And this is holding us hostage to a narrative they want us to subscribe to, that this is the most important thing you should be focusing on. Rand Paul, right? He recovered for the coronavirus. Do you know where he's at now? You know he's a doctor, right? He's volunteering in eastern Kentucky working at the hospital. So he recovered. How? Huh anti-malarial drugs, the ones they don't want us having because they need the, 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 the numbers to match their predictions. They are so upset that people aren't dying. They're going to just lie and say people are dying because of this. There was a meme that was going around that I loved where it showed a guy jumping out of a plane with no parachute and he dies. And the cause of death was coronavirus, not the fact that he jumped out of the plane and it was high velocity impact. So this is how they're moving it forward. They're trying to hold us hostage to save these many deaths in order to justify a superimposed mass vaccination plan. We have been seeing these mass vaccination, you know, incentives that they are putting in. Do you want your kid in public school? You have to vaccinate. Do you want to do this? You must vaccinate at the hospital. They're like, you must, you know, get a flu shot to work. And it's like, I don't want 
baby parts in me. I don't need a piece of cow or pork or bird or whatever else vector you want to use. I don't need foreign DNA in my DNA. Yet, if you want a job, you better do it. That's what they're telling you. So they're blackmailing you to superimpose to you what you have to do. I mean, I don't know why healthcare workers, you know, it's a private company, right? Uh, A healthcare conglomerate is a a private company. But that's a violation of your civil right to enforce upon you to put something foreign in your body that has absolutely no proof of protecting others. In fact, it should be the opposite. We already know that viruses cannot be inoculated against, period. So uh, this is this is going to be very interesting for the healthcare industry because it's going to tip a lot of things on people's heads. So it's important that we remember how it goes. You understand? We have to remember how it goes. This is a song and dance that they are putting in front of us in order to be able to box us in, to box us in to what they want us to be doing, how they want us to be doing it, and when they want us to be doing it. That is basically it. So these numbers, these skewed numbers, these new deaths, they're going to want to incinerate them because when a team comes down, even if it was just me, I'd go down and autopsy all of them. And I could probably tell you it was not coronavirus on almost 90% of them because they don't have the numbers. They don't. And we're going to see it happen. And I'm so glad that the president has allowed the team to go forward so they can pull their own pants down completely. That is what we are seeing. That is what we are observing. Now, before um, the break, I wanted to play this clip. Huh? Listen to this. It's from 10 years ago. Well, 10 years ago, April 17th. I want you to take a listen to this because this is quite interesting. We're looking the city, a massive funeral pyre. Hundreds of monks have congregated from near and far. Some have traveled for days to join their fellow Buddhists in mourning and prayer for the dead. The bodies have been placed in a large pit, then doused in gasoline and lit. All morning, families have been bringing the remains of their loved ones over. Corpses of men, women, and children found from underneath the debris. Lotu Pasong has just dropped off his daughter. A broken man. He says he has lost his family, his home. He has no food and water. He has nothing. Others choose to express their grief silently. In a traditional Tibetan funeral, the body is laid out on a platform for the vultures. It's called a sky burial. But as one girl sadly told me, there are simply too many bodies and not enough birds. So the Tibetans have no choice but to cremate their dead. But the monks say they have ensured a proper passage for the souls. You can burn bodies in our religion too. If you place some holy writings and effects with the body, that also works. In the city below, rescue work, or by now what might be better called cleanup work, continues. It is highly unlikely anyone would have survived three nights in the freezing cold in this mountainous part of China. Government dispatched rescue workers and monks work side by side. The scale of the disaster means it will be some time before this region recovers. But for now, no one is thinking too much about the future. This is one of the most deeply religious places in the country, and now is the time for meditation, contemplation.
over the tragedy of the dead and the suffering of the living, and a coming to terms with the destructive power of nature. So the destructive power of nature. So what if you take nature and you modify it? Can it be as equally destructive? Yes. And even more when you make, you know, uh, genetically modified mosquitoes to supposedly inoculate you against the disease. But in, in fact, they're giving you the disease. Those are the things we have to think about. Not this rubbish that Cuomo is going through like this. If we were doing the same rate of interaction those numbers would still be going up. So to the extent we see a flattening or a possible plateau, that's because of what we are doing and we have to keep doing it. I know it's hard, but uh, we have to keep doing it. And to the extent it takes uh, an effort, remember at this time, it's not a, it is about we and it is not about me. I know what I would like to be doing. I would like to be going, uh, it's motorcycle weather for me. It's time to get out on the water. It's time to go hiking in the Adirondacks. I get it. Yeah, I'm glad that he can enjoy those activities, right? So he can, he likes to go motorcycle riding. That kind of pairs up with his nipple piercings. <laughs> he can go hiking here and there. He wants to do it, but he can't. We all just have to sit at home and wait like sitting ducks until, you know, those that know better for us tell us when we're able to actually do something, maybe go for a walk, maybe shop, maybe what we can eat too. Maybe they'll start telling us what we're allowed to eat because, you know, in specific zones, you can do this in other specific zones. You can't do that. But in the meantime, you still have the same responsibilities as if it was a normal day at work. So you're still responsible for all your debt, the debt that you were born into. You're still responsible to put food on your table yourself, even though I've taken away your right to be able to work. Think this is perfect. I mean, it's suffrage. I get it. And that's fine. I'm okay with it. But in order for the president to make his point, to be able to highlight the problems that we have within our government structure, this is what has to be done. Cuomo's upset that it wasn't fair for New York City. It's your senator, your Congress people, your idiot Democrats that decided to put that bill together, that were more concerned with the only, I think I'm the only person talking about it, Th that committee that they snuck in there to investigate and see how the coronavirus thing was done. Want to make a bet? Let's fast forward. We're going to have Burks and Fauci testifying. Oh, President Trump was like super bad. He called me out for like being a corrupt clown. Kind of like Ivanovich was crying all over the place when she was testifying. That's what we're going to see. That's what they're going to show us. That's how they're going to play it out. They want to own you, every facet of you globally. And the president threw the biggest wrench in that in history. He is trying to make sure that evil does not win because the silent enemy, the invisible enemy, invisible enemy, <laughs> invisible, it's not so silent anymore. The invisible enemy 
is hiding right under your nose. They're the ones that employ you, create the jobs, write the laws, you know, listen to your phone calls. You listen to them for the news. They are the invisible enemy. It's not the fact that it's just a tiny, tiny virus or parasite or whatever it is. (laughs) They're the enemy. They're the ones fighting you. They have taken away your livelihood now because they were so upset that you were prospering. That's exactly what's happening. So after the break, we'll get into more stuff. I'll see you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So, April 7th, 2020, and this is the second hour. So, to start it off, I thought it would be a great way to finish. (laughs) It would be a great time to finish off what Tucker has to say about how long these lockdowns last. Let's take a listen. Hoping that vehemence will compensate for bad science. Here's the mayor of Los Angeles just last week. If you've observed recurring violations of the safer at home order, please continue to let us know at coronavirus.lacity.org slash business violation. You know the old expression about snitches? Well, in this case, snitches get rewards. We want to thank you for turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. So you just saw the mayor of our second biggest city offering to pay citizens to snitch on their neighbors for, among other things, daring to go to work. Working is one activity we've decided should not be allowed. Jogging, fishing, golf, fine. Being employed, a massive threat to public health. We've decided that offices are somehow more dangerous than supermarkets, far more dangerous, though no one has to date bothered to explain how. The result of this? By some estimates, more than 17 million Americans are unemployed right now. That's the highest number in the history of this country. A year from now, and we should think about this, how will all of us feel about the decisions we've made in the face of this pandemic? Is there a single person who sincerely expects the coronavirus itself will hurt more people in the end than the damage we're causing in our response to it? Probably not. Mass unemployment is almost certain to cause far more harm, including physical harm, to the average family than this disease. In 1967, two psychiatric researchers decided to rank traumatic life events in order of how profoundly they affected people's health. Stress can kill you, we know that, and they wanted to determine which kinds of stress were the most dangerous. The doctors found that losing a job ranked high on the list of health-degrading traumas. Joblessness came in well above death of a close friend, to put it into some perspective. If you ever found yourself unemployed with dependents to take care of, you understand this. Unfortunately, many of our policymakers don't understand. They've never been in that position. They never will be. Our professional class doesn't have much interest in middle-class job loss or its consequences. We know that because they've essentially ignored it for decades, not to mention the family disintegration and the drug epidemics it has spawned. So far, about 10,000 Americans have died from the Wuhan coronavirus. That number will rise, and it will likely include people you know. That's a tragedy. But it's not the only tragedy in progress in this country. In 2018, more than 67,000 Americans died of drug overdoses. The year before, more than 70,000 died. That's more than the entire population of the towns most of us grew up in. 
And those totals are far lower than the real number, according to people who study the question. The drug epidemic has permanently changed the demographics of this country, but for some reason, CNN has not kept a running tally of drug casualties on the screen. Why is that? Well, you know why. It's not their peer group. It doesn't seem real. They're not that interested. And the same thing is going on now. If the coronavirus shutdown was crushing college administrators or nonprofit executives or green energy lobbyists, it would have ended last week. Instead, it's mainly service workers and small business owners who have been hurt, and they're not on television talking about what they're going through. You need to look closely to see their suffering. Over the weekend, the head of Indiana's Family and Social Services Administration announced that calls to the state's mental health and suicide prevention hotline had gone from about 1,000 to 25,000 a day. Calls to Indiana's addiction hotlines have risen dramatically as well. Reports of domestic violence have spiked in this country and, in fact, around the world. In France, they rose 32 percent in a single week. Someday we'll get the numbers on the child abuse going on during this lockdown and we'll all feel sick to our stomachs. Once again, coronavirus is not the only bad thing that's happening in America right now, horrifying as it is. We should never minimize the danger of this pandemic or minimize our obligation to respond to it wisely. We've been saying that on this show for months. No thoughtful person wants to reopen baseball stadiums tomorrow or book a cruise to Shanghai. But there has to be a more balanced course than the one we are on now. For most people, going to work cannot be more dangerous than buying produce at Safeway twice a week. And if it is more dangerous, tell, it, tell us how it is more dangerous and be specific when you describe that. Otherwise, it's time to start caring about the entire population. Healthy people are suffering badly, too. Exactly. Exactly. So you have to think they're shutting down your work so you can't make money, but you're allowed to go shop food with what money? Like I'm just saying, I, I still have bills to pay. I'm paying bills, but you know, if I can't work, how am I going to buy food next week, the week after? How am I going to do that? You're telling me that can stay open and I could go shop, but if you're restricting me from being able to work or open up my bakery, what do I do? What do I do? How do I function? That's the thing. Explain to me why me going down to the building that I work at or the hospital, because doctors go there, nurses, right? Uh, Or to wherever I go for work. Tell me how that's more dangerous than me picking up items from the supermarket that a hundred people have probably picked up before I took it home because I like to read the labels and being in close proximity with them, having the checkout person check out my things themselves so you know they're using their gloves and their breath and everything over there how that's not as dangerous as me going to my office or me opening up my bakery that's the question that is the key question what is the end game because life is still going on take a listen to this Wisconsin's presidential primary election happening today. Last night, the state Supreme Court overturning a last-minute executive order by the governor to suspend in-person voting until June. Mike Tobin is live with the latest on all that. Hey, Mike. Hi, Sandra. Wisconsin voters who choose to are going to the polls today after 18 chaotic hours and two high court decisions that handed defeats to Wisconsin's Democratic governor. Uh, the state Supreme Court, which is controlled by Republicans, told Evers he may not delay the election until June. And the U.S. Supreme Court said absentee ballots must be postmarked today. Now, the challenge to delaying the vote was brought by Republican state lawmakers, and that brought the ire of Evers, who wrote, 
Thousands will wake up and have to choose between their right to vote and staying healthy and safe. Republicans in Wisconsin who control the legislature pushed back against the delay and Evers' efforts at a mail-in vote. They said Evers brought the changes too late. They should have dealt with this weeks ago. Unfortunately, weeks ago, the governor himself, a Democrat, was saying there should be an election. Uh, two weeks ago, or less than two weeks ago, he said he couldn't do anything. And then just days ago, he called for a special session. And today, he switched yet again, saying they were going to postpone. Then the Democratic State Senator Tim Carpenter said Wisconsin is the only state stupid enough to have an election April 7th. Roughly 1.3 million absentee ballots have been requested. The Election Commission predicts clerk will be overwhelmed. Many Wisconsinites are complaining they have not received their absentee ballots in the mail yet. Milwaukee usually has 100 polling stations open due to shortages of volunteers. Five are operating. The National Guard has been uh, activated and guardsmen and women have been trained to be volunteers at polling locations. It's not going to look like martial law. They'll, walk, they'll wear plain clothes and work in the counties where they live. Sandra. Huh. So we're still having elections. So Wisconsin didn't get there. You know, Wisconsin that was going to hold the DNC convention isn't going to stymie the elections. They're going to get their Supreme Court elected. But I want you guys to take a moment and always pause and think what the end game is, because there's always a motivation behind any change. Kind of like, you know, they tell us, oh, you know, plants just um, moved. um, They migrated from the water to land. And you're like, okay, hold on a second. Why? Oh, it just did. Why? It just did. No, it doesn't just did. Okay. It doesn't just did. There is a reason behind everything. Like, you know, when you do something, there's always a motivation. You get up out of bed because you have to go somewhere. Uh, you smoke a cigarette. It's because it makes you feel good. Uh, you like to eat steak because you like the juices dripping on the side of your mouth. Right? That's, that's like, you know, you do things because they make you feel a certain way or you get something. Uh, for example, you go to work and work and what do you get in exchange? Money right? So you do things for, so think, what is their reward? What they have a plan. So what is their reward with you in the house, destroying your ability to work and scaring the living daylights out of you with a virus that you don't know how it spread. You don't know if you've got it. You don't know if you're immune to it and you don't know pretty much anything about it. And yet they're in strangulating the population. They're not letting, we didn't have primary elections in many States. So they're taking away your right to vote. Lots of them are taking away your right to guns. They're rewarding snitches, right? They, they, they're making Karens. Okay. They're, they're propagating the creation of Karens that will see you outside and say, why are you outside? You know, this is incredible. They are destroying people. And like Tucker said, they're keeping you in the house. And so I have a lot of friends that, you know, can't stand to be in their house with their family. They're getting on each other's nerves, you know, husband, wife, they work, they don't see each other just on the weekend a little bit. That's good. Cause there's, you know, sibling rivalry, even though you're not siblings, right? You, you know, married couples argue the longer you're together, the more you argue, right? Um, you know, your kids are, you know, constantly at home. So, you know, their room is a mess or they just want to play video games all day, which I'm totally game for. I indulge in some age of empires 
years yesterday while I was working. I shouldn't be saying that on air, but what it was, it was a boring call and it was overseas and it was super long. So I would pause it when I'd have to focus, but I'm just going to say, you know, people are uncomfortable around their own family members. And like you said, a lot of people are drinking. A lot of people are using drugs. You know, uh, I'm just saying if I was, if I was in a state like Colorado or, um, you know, Oregon, where it's, I'd probably be baked all night playing video games like Monopoly. I kid you not because there's only, well, that's if I didn't have a job, I didn't have children, you know, and I didn't have, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, things to do like in, investigate things, write articles, and do a radio show. But this is where self-destruction comes in. Because as as human beings, uh, we have this innate need to communicate. Because in the end, we, we have to remind ourselves that we are all sons and daughters of God and citizens of heaven that are connected with each other. Every single person in your building, in your city, in your county, in your state, in your country, and in the world are your brothers and sisters, like it or not. We are all children of the same God, not of a lesser one, except for them. (laughs) They are different. And you know, considering that it's Holy Week for the majority of the Christian faiths, because there's different ones, right? Of course. It was clear, you know, when on, on, on Palm Sunday... Jesus, the story says, rode into a town sitting on a donkey, super humble and everything. And what they wanted to do was crown him king. But they didn't because he wasn't political. He didn't take a side. Instead, he took the side of mankind. He took the side of the people. He said, my people come first, which is you. You are beloved, there, you need to have love in your hearts. You need to be communicating with each other. You should care what happens to the guy next to you. And you should care what's happening to that child right now in a cage somewhere underground. You should care right now about that child in Africa that has electrodes sticking out of their heads somewhere in some lab testing for artificial intelligence implants. You should care about the mother that is weeping because her child cannot speak. You should care that there's a woman out there thinking, I don't have money for diapers and I'm not getting unemployment and I can't get anyone on the phone. You should care about all these things because that's what we are. We are innately good. And that's because we're all connected. All of us. All of us are connected with each other. And it's at this time that we are isolated that we should be using the means of communications that we have, which is one that sheds away all the... for to- I would say, or all the bias that we may have. Um, are you blonde? Are you brunette? Are you a redhead? Are you tall, short, fat, thin? Just talk with the person. And this is the time where we can really connect if we use it for that, because that's exactly what we should be doing now is connecting. What we should be doing right now is having conversations, difficult ones. What we should be doing right now is asking all these questions because in a, in a time of distress and when you're under duress, right? The one thing you shouldn't do is panic and you shouldn't be reactive. What you should be is inquisitive. You should ask questions. And I'm glad to see that there are tons of people asking questions. 
Asking questions is really important because it is through asking questions that we learn, we grow, and we understand. Kind of like how I was asking questions. Now that Boris Johnson has been coronavirus, who is stepping in? And the person that is stepping in is Rob, right? So Foreign Secretary Dominic Rob is the one that is stepping in. And it was in, uh, I think it was March 24th, 23rd, 24th, I think, that I saw an article around that time. It was before Greek Independence Day. So that's how I, I, I made a marker of that. He put out an announcement asking all Brits from around the world to come home to the United Kingdom while there are still commercial flights available. Now, he said that, you know, airports are going to start to close down, so get home while you can. I wonder if he's going to the same extent that the U.S. State Department is going to repatriate, uh, you know, U.K. citizens. Now, um, he is the one that's going to be stepping up for, uh, you know, Boris now that he's gone. But I'm going to take you back in time. I'm going to take you back in time to about 2016, and in 2016, Barack Hussein Obama, before he put out his stupid little uh, transition order, executive order, which riddled the United States with holes in it, of moles in it, and kept Barack Hussein Obama actually as president, believe it or not, Hussein actually scolded the Brits. And he said... If you dare leave the European Union, you're going to the back of the line. That's what he said. Because he said there is not going to be a U.S.-U.K. trade agreement ever, he said, when he was at a conference speaking with Prime Minister Cameron. He literally said that. You can look it up. And what was weird is, is that people forgot that. That he, he blackmailed the crown. Well, not the crown. The subjects of the crown that are rebelling against the crown without saying they're rebelling against the crown. Uh, pulling out of the EU. And it's very controversial how he got into the EU referendum campaign. And Obama pandered to the British voters to cut, to, you know, to not cut ties with the European Union. He literally said that. He said, the only way the U.S. will be working with the U.K. is only when the U.K. is there to lead a strong Europe. Now, imagine if there was no Brexit. Imagine if the United Kingdom could not shut down its borders when it wanted to. Imagine if the United Kingdom had to maintain the line that the EU is doing, which is absolutely nothing. They're allowing people to drown, right? So these are all really important, uh, you know, things that we should remember. We should remember at that time, Boris Johnson was the mayor of London, and accused Barack Hussein Obama of making an inconsistent argument that was inco incoherent. And Johnson actually said, and I quote, the Americans would never contemplate anything like the EU for themselves or for their neighbors in their own hemisphere. Why do they think it is right for us that, you know, the U.S. would never force you know, uh, a union in their hemisphere. So why is it happening to us? This is what was said. So, um, 
this block. How do I want to phrase this? So last year, last year, Dominic Robb tried to see how he can, you know, reignite the UK's trade relationship with North America. Larry Summers, who was part of the National Economic Council of Barack Hussein Obama's admin, said that England has absolutely no uh, no leverage. They shouldn't hope to be put anywhere in the front of the queue. This is not happening. You're stuck. And, you know, I could tell you it's not going to happen. That's what he said. And Rob actually made his second trip uh, to Canada after being appointed by Johnson, right, as the foreign secretary, um, before he came to uh, Washington. And what he said was within his first 15 days, he traveled east and west to discuss how the United Kingdom can strengthen their relationships with nations unilaterally, like bilaterally, but just with them, uh, excluding, obviously, the EU. And Clinton and Obama, you know, who obviously had Larry Summers employed, who, by the way, Larry Summers, uh, you know, is one of the lead people giving the economic uh, nefarious view on how to move forward. So Rob has always been a critic of, you know, um, an England that is, you know, attached to the UK. He was very much of a critic. And, you know, Barack Hussein Obama actually was very aggressive toward him. So if anyone, I'd say that Foreign Secretary Dominic Robb, um, you know, would probably do a good job. But, you know, I take it with a grain of salt. Because remember, Boris Johnson was never, ever shy to make his statements. He called Barack Hussein Obama what he is, a snake. He also said that, you know, the United States is telling the EU what to do, but they would never do it. Actually, we were in the midst of it, right, with the North American Union. But these are all things that we need to remember. We need to remember what was done in the past to understand the future. That is the only way that we can move forward. And by doing that, we understand where we are at right now. There is so much going on. It is so hard to keep your pulse on everything. It's ridiculous. So England is having really big issues right now with their people. Their people are so, you know, fed up with the misinformation and the mandatory lockdowns and the fact that you're not allowed to leave your house. And, you know, they're watching all these videos of 5G and the coronavirus. Let me tell you something. So I'm going to talk about 5G tomorrow. But, you know, many of you will be disappointed to know that 5G can't is not really the source of the coronavirus. Now, unless that 5G tower had square wave emissions, don't get me wrong, all towers, all signals, radio signals and frequencies that are around you will cause disruption to your biology. That's a fact. Um, 
And that's actually the the audio that I'm working on to put up on my subscribe star where it talks about, because we talked about frequencies uh, on a previous uh, subscribe star show, but this one tells you how the disruption happens, which is obviously if you've heard the frequencies episode on subscribe star, you understand it. Um, and you probably don't even need to listen to the little snippet of this is why from, from regular radio towers to 2g, 3g, 4g, and even 5g, there's always going to be a disruption. You run on electric, you're vibrating on frequencies. You're just a clump of cells and that's science. That's not, Oh, conspiracy that's science but you are the master of those cells and you can keep them in tune um so you know we're seeing a lot of 5g towers being burnt down around the world uh we saw rim being designated as a terrorist organization so anyone promoting um you know anything I'm not saying that RIM aren't terrorists. I'm not saying that they're not white supremacists because they did say, why are Africans and Arabs running the world? You know, and you know, let's be honest, it's more of a figure of speech, but it's also heated. It's kind of like a a golden dawn in Greece. They, they were very, you know, Nazi-ish, right? Uh, Per se, uh, even though at their core, they were just nationalists, but they would take them to the point of uh, supremacy or Greek supremacy, if you want to call it that. Um, so it wasn't like attacking uh, specific uh, conglomerates, but that's how it was construed because ideology right now is more important than actual actions. So if there's a group of people that are promoting a certain ideology that promotes um, terrorism, then they're all going to be labeled terrorist organizations, which makes me wonder as to why um, we haven't seen uh, Antifa be labeled as a terrorist organization when they should have. So the, the movements that we are seeing now going forward during this coronavirus epidemic are pretty insane. Uh, from the fact that we're seeing, uh, you know, the average person suffocating suffocate. Like I used to love to see my, my emails and I'm like, Oh my gosh, did I forget something? Does something need to get paid again while I am not working? This is not good. All of us are doing it. Uh, is my kid online for, you know, cyber class? Um, I need to make sure that they're online. I need to make sure that they have papers and pens. Wait, how do I get them? I have to go to Walmart to get, you know, whatever materials the school wants. Uh, you know, these, you know, we're all so distracted in that. So we've got the element of yourself and your person in your household, right? You're in that box. And then we have the government who doesn't know the numbers, doesn't know what's going on. You're getting misinformation left and right. The Democrats are telling you panic, panic, but they're not doing anything, right? The right is like on the fence, panic, but don't panic, panic, but don't panic. We've got reports coming out from around the world that are all conflicting. We have people, you know, pushing, hey, you know, this is happening. This is how it's activated. I'm telling you, I know that nanotechnology is involved in this coronavirus. And yes, indeed, some nanotechnology, if it has the the specific satellites on it, satellite features, meaning points on it, right, can activate because 
we all resonate on frequencies, but that's not the case because this virus isn't spreading mouth to mouth, air to air, touch to touch. Maybe it's food. Nobody knows. That's the worst thing. So you've got your own set of stressors and then you've got the stressors of not knowing where, what's going on in your environment, right? And then on top of that, there's a grander environment of wars and drug wars and children being rescued and countries coming at it. You know, the threat that someone's going to knock on your door and take your kid because coronavirus, you know, these are all legitimate, you know, issues. The stress on you is immense, right? Immense. I'm feeling, I'm sure all of you are. And the impatience for knowledge and to understand what's going on is even worse. Having said that, the only way we can center ourselves is having faith. Have faith that someone is doing the right thing somewhere. Not one person, but some ones. Have faith that the person that's sitting in the driver's seat right now for our nation is doing everything he can. And you know what? The fact that they're fighting him so hard means that he's doing the right thing. That is all you can do is have faith and have peace with that. Have faith that your neighbor will open the door for you. Have faith that your neighbor will say, you need a cup of sugar? I got some. Have faith that when you walk out into the street and, you know, you walk down to go get a banana or an apple, like I said, you know, I, I literally go to the corner, uh, uh, you know, from where I am, I'll walk, right? But I'll take the long way just to go buy one thing like milk or one banana or one, you know, cookie or something just to get out of the house. Because, you know, if I'm not, you know, even though I have the little paper that says I can travel for work, I mean, in my line of work, it's highly specific. So mm, I don't know uh, (laughs) when I'm going to use that card. But for now, no one's allowed to walk outside. Some of you might even get fined for it. Some of you will be tattletailed on it, right? Someone's going to tattletale on you and say, oh my gosh, you left the house. You're so bad. I'm going to tell. So, you know, we're under so much stress. It's ridiculous. And uh, the one thing that everybody wants to know is when are we getting our country back? When are we going to feel normal again. And what is normal? It's not going to be the same normal that it was before this. It's going to be completely different. There's going to be a different face because your bakery that has all that stuff that's going to waste that you're probably going to be throwing out, right? Garbage men are still working, by the way. You know, you're going to be throwing that out. You're going to have to start from zero. And I don't care how many loans they give you. That loan is only to help you pay for your employees and retain them or whatever. But how's your bakery going to work? How is it going to work when you've got no product? How is it going to work when your credit is shot because you couldn't make your car payments and so you can't get that business loan? How is it going to work when, you know, you need to cleanse it and I don't know, like spray it. I don't know what they're going to tell you you're going to have to do. How is it going to work? You're just not going to have your shop anymore. And this was the plan of the Democrats. 
don't get me wrong. They've rolled this out. Coronavirus has been around way before what they told you. The first patient that they diagnosed was in January 2015, uh, January 15th, 2020. But how many people had coronavirus in November and December? This has spread so far. It was covert. It was designer. It was a bioweapon. And that's what it was. So now what we have to do is reinvent our future. And the timeline from what I'm seeing, the one that I'm seeing is pretty great. The one that I'm seeing with most probabilities is great. That's if, you know, someone who's close to the president doesn't get the president corona, coronavirus. And, and that's what we have to be careful of, that he's hydrated safely. And these are, this is how we can, you know, move forward in a new tomorrow, in a new America, because the best is yet to come. We are going to get better. There's no going backwards. You can't get worse from rock bottom. You can't get worse than that. And a lot of people be like, no, don't jinx it. That's the way it is. But you know, Laura Ingram yesterday said, how do we get our country back? Right? That was her show. And I want you guys to listen to her for a second, because even though I don't agree with everything she says, um, she puts together some really good commentary and I really liked it. Today is national shutdown day 21. So for Andrew Cuomo, it was 37 days, but today, but for her, it was 21 days yesterday. So hmm, take a listen. Let's get this going. Shutdown day 21. Well, tonight as Christians begin Holy Week and as Jews prepare to celebrate the Passover, we are all acutely aware of the darkness that this COVID-19 crisis has wrought. Uh, the more than 10,000 Americans who've now lost their lives and countless more have had their lives upended. Businesses frozen, parents frustrated, children are just confused, and workers unemployed. But there are some, and we needed these hopeful signs emerging. Now, while New York is still suffering greatly with its more than 4,700 COVID deaths, the daily numbers are actually stabilizing, and there are other positive signs. Total number of hospitalizations are down, the ICU admissions are down, and the daily intubations are down. Those are all good signs, and again, would suggest a possible flattening of the curve. Earlier than some people thought, perhaps, we'll be watching. While the West Coast is far ahead of New York in the good news category, things are looking up in the fight against COVID, both in Washington state and in California. Now, some states are just doing such a good job at budgeting and reallocating their own resources that they're able to share some of their medical equipment. Governor Jay Inslee, a Democrat, announced Sunday that Washington state will be returning more than 400 ventilators that it received from the strategic national stockpile so they can then be transferred to other states. And on Saturday, Oregon's Governor Kate Brown, she announced that her state can afford to share 140 ventilators with New York. You look at most places where that you can call it the bump, you can call it the hill, you can call it the mountain, you can call it whatever you want to do it. It's very flat. They have a couple of tough ones. New Jersey's been very tough and New York has been very tough. You look at so many of these states, how well they're doing. Well, that's good to hear. And like you, I'm wondering, when do we get our country back? Will we truly get back to normal in this country before there's an actual vaccine that's available to everybody? If back to normal means acting like there never was 
a coronavirus problem. I, I don't think that's going to happen until we do have a situation where you can completely protect the population. When we get back to normal, we will go back gradually to the point where we can function as a society. I mean, if you want to get to pre-coronavirus, you know, that might not ever happen. Well, the president didn't seem like he was completely thrilled with that answer. I think we can get more than back to normal from an economic standpoint, actually be better, but more than back to normal. But I I would agree that uh, we'd love to see a vaccine, but immediately we'd love to see a therapeutic. And I think we're getting very close. Now, speaking of therapeutics, some in the media and the medical establishment, as I mentioned to Sean, continue this bizarre assault on the decades-old drug hydroxychloroquine that's being used by doctors worldwide, and I mean worldwide, to treat COVID patients, especially seeing promise in early interventions. Now, to get a sense of how political the criticism has become, check this out. We're focusing so much on hydroxychloroquine, we're overlooking all the really important social issues that are not being mentioned. We're not talking about the spike in domestic violence that's being seen by people, you know, uh, being forced to stay inside. We're not talking about the impact on indigenous and undocumented communities all throughout the U.S. And we're not talking enough about the impact of coronavirus on people of color. Well, not to say those aren't all important issues. They are. But you can talk about all of those things. Can we not? And what he didn't say is that the hydroxy plus azithromycin is now being used by physicians treating COVID patients in his own hospital. I know because I've spoken to the doctors. Now, I'll say what I say almost every day. If at all possible, short of a vaccine, we need a cheap, scalable therapeutic. But remember, the drug companies, they don't make their real money off old generic drugs. No, no. So far, we have a controlled study in China, albeit on the small side. We have a study by one of Europe's top epidemiologists, Didier Raoult. And we have observational data from around the globe that shows that hydroxy and azithro can drop a COVID patient's viral load and send them home from the hospital. So they drop the viral load. They will not shed that virus as much as they would without it. Now, Andrew Cuomo is even seeing the promise. We've allowed usage of uh, the hydroxychloroquine with the packs pack uh, in hospitals at their discretion. The federal government is going to increase the supply to New York pharmacies. There has been anecdotal evidence that it is promising. That's why we're going ahead. Uh, doctors have to prescribe it. Anecdotally, it's been positive. Well, another hotspot is acknowledging the benefits as well. These drugs don't represent a silver bullet or a magic wand. However, many medical doctors have chosen to prescribe these drugs to relieve symptoms of the virus in some patients. Positive results in a patient by these drugs could potentially allow our ventilator needs to decrease. Of course, that's the L.A. Attorney General, Louisiana Attorney General. Well, of course, nothing short of a vaccine is a magic wand, but the drugs can relieve pressure on the hospitals and the ICUs, helping us to avert a total collapse of our healthcare system, which was the whole point of flattening the curve in the first place, saving patients and saving the hospitals. 
Now, um, I, I just want to stop it right there because I want to shift gears and talk about um, extraterrestrial treaties and stuff that we have. But Americans are more worried about their loss of income during the pandemic than anything else. And that's the only thing that's not really being addressed. This bill is flat on its face. I don't know how many of you, but I'm getting tons of messages and I myself am finding it, you know, as a contractor, they're like, oh, you need to file like this, right? So you can't get a small business loan unless you've uh, paid other employees. And obviously uh, with my changes in my personal space, I haven't. So they're like, you're going to file unemployment. Well, okay. So that's how I'm going to file it, unemployment, but I'm working. Yeah. You're just going to tell them how many hours you worked and what it is. So there are steps that, you know, your employers for me being a contractor are being told, but guess what? They're not really doing it because it's like, oh, send us this. How am I going to send you something that I don't have? How are you going to have a contractor on the books? This is like for small businesses that are individuals, you know, like freelancers and stuff like that. How do you do that? You can't. So everyone is freaking out. It's not just you. Everybody is because they're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How is this going to roll over? What's the point of doing this? I'd rather be out there and risking, you know, catching this virus than, you know, your mitigation having me come out the other end broken completely. Unless they like ban all credit agencies like completely, then I don't see how people are going to revive themselves. I was. Speaking to, um, you know, over email with, uh, you know, a, a listener that has two small businesses in a state and, you know, he's applied for the loan. He's like, it doesn't matter by the time I get that, which is supposed to be fast because once they opened it up, applied, it's just paying, you know, the, the employees and okay, I don't have to pay the tax and, you know, I don't have to pay, um, for, uh, you know, any other stuff and I'm going to get some relief here, but I still have rent to pay on the properties. I still have credit cards. I've got, I got a loan to open up my second store and I can't pay that payment. I've all, I'm already 20 days behind and I don't know how I'm going to do it because my wife is at home with our four kids and I've got to feed them too. And I've maxed out my credit cards just to feed them. What do I do? Because this is what is going on across America. So again, have faith. You may not have two pennies to rub together. Share your penny. That's how we come together. That's how we help each other. Help each other, you know, by being there for each other. That's all we can do. That's all we can have faith for. Because, you know, the, the, the loaf of bread you're going to give to your neighbor today will come back in the future tenfold. That's how it goes. When you give it out of just caring, you know, out of caring, that is how we operate as human beings by looking after each other, by giving hope to each other, by making sure that we're all in this together because we are. And every, you know, everyone is with each other. That is the only thing we can do. Only thing we can do. Like I really wish I had access to my savings that I've been saving all my life, but predicament have it. I don't at the moment. <laughs> so how do I help people that need help. How do, how do I help 
How do you help? We can't. We feel stuck. We feel like they've just slapped on even more debt chains. That's exactly what they've been doing to us. And they are perpetuating this and they're going to take advantage of this because by the time you come out at the other end, even now, day 21, day 22, whatever you want to call it, day 100, you're going to be so broken mentally that, you know, when you come out, you're just going to be like, whatever they throw at me, I'll take it. I'll take it because I'm desperate. I'll take it. Suddenly you're going to see, you know, we've got to have laws in place to implement. So there's no, you know, um, price gouging in your wages because the business owners aren't going to have a lot of money to pay you. So where you would normally get $15 an hour, $20 an hour, $30 an hour. Now it's going to be five or minimum wage. And you're going to be like, what are you talking about? Well, until business picks up, you're going to see that happen. So that is the destruction that we need to mitigate, but we have to have faith that we have the right guy in the captain's chair right now. And we actually do, because if we didn't, they wouldn't be fighting him like this. So that is the faith you have there because you and your families are safe and we already have the cure obviously. And they're fighting that cure like nobody's business. The new conspiracy theory, you know, the first conspiracy theory, the Russia hoax was, oh my gosh, Russia paid $150,000 in, (laughs) in advertisements on Facebook and totally swayed the election with 150 grand. Are you kidding? 150 grand doesn't even have enough to make a dent in one small County, let alone (laughs) the whole United States. So now the new conspiracy theory is, oh my gosh, look, you know, President Trump has this mutual fund or, you know, this stock portfolio and he has a a whole $98 and 90 something cents of stock in hydrochloroquine. So he's pushing this drug because he's going to make money. I don't care if that goes a thousand percent up. That's not even half the cost of the suit he wears. Are you kidding? Are you kidding that less than a hundred dollars is an incentive for him to push a medication? Nah, man, we're going to cure all viruses. Viruses are innate to your body. Your body makes viruses. They don't just appear out of nowhere. Okay. They're parasites. They are self-created. They're just proteins. They're just, it's just a strand of information and it's generated within a body or within a lab. So, (laughs) so spare me the whole, we have the cure. We've been having the cure and now we're going to see it perpetuate worldwide, hopefully quicker and faster than ever. Now I'm anticipating for something big to happen on Friday, um, which is going to be pretty interesting. So before we get into, um, what I want to talk about, which is extraterrestrial real estate, moon treaties, etc., because the president retweeted about the moon treaty that we are not party to. I thought we could listen to a song, but kind of like the silent running. I want you guys to listen to the words. I mean, it's a great song. I love Imagine Dragons. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're what the 70s and 80s were telling us about the 2020s now of today. So, um, I want us to listen to their song. I want us to listen to their song and listen to the words more than anything. Okay. Because the words tell you what the real war is about. Okay. And the war is real. It's an invisible enemy only because it's under our nose. (laughs) 
When the days are cold and the cards all fold and the saints we see are all made of gold. When your dreams all fail and the wounds we heal are the worst of all and the bloods run stale. I wanna hide the truth. I wanna shelter you, but with the There's nowhere we can hide. No matter what we breed, we still are made of greed. This is my kingdom come. This is my kingdom come. This song has some really interesting words <laughs> that we should all be taking a look at. Uh, so now I thought for the last like 10 minutes that we, well, actually seven minutes that we have, that we talk about the Moon Treaty and the Outer Space Treaty uh, with this executive order on encouraging international support for the recovery and use of space. Specifically, it says that um, Space Policy Directive number one of December 11, 2017, reinvigorating America's human space exploration program, provides commercial partners will participate in an innovative and sustainable program headed by the United States to lead the return of humans to the moon for long term exploration and utilization, followed by human missions to Mars and other destinations. So that was actually actually signed on December 11, 2017. I don't, oh, yeah. From my personal Twitter account, I was, I had a whole thread on that. That's all gone. Uh, but so 
here's where we're going to talk about extraterrestrial real estate, the moon treaty that we are not a part of, and the outer space treaty. So just so you know, the outer space treaty is a treaty that was um, formed, right, by many nations. And it's principles on governing the activities of states in exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and or other celestial bodies. So it's basically the basis of international space law, like seriously. And uh, the U.S. opened it up for signature and the United Kingdom and the Soviet Union on the 27th of January, 1967. And it was enforced as of the 10th of October, 19. 67. Now, um, as of last year, we've had 109 car, uh, uh, countries that are part of that treaty, 23 that have signed but not completed the ratification, like to put it in their laws, right? In their nation's laws. In addition, Taiwan, which is currently recognized by only 14 UN member states and obviously not the World Health Organization, ratified the treaty before the UN General Assembly vote to transfer uh, China's seat to the People's Republic in 71. So Taiwan had already done that. So uh, what's interesting about this is, is that we have this outer space treaty, but the moon treaty that, uh, you know, is being referenced within this executive order, uh, which clearly says we are not, you know, section two, the moon agreement, the United States is not party to the moon agreement, further, the United States does not consider the moon agreement to be an effective or necessary instrument to guide nation states regarding promotion of commercial participation in the long-term exploration, scientific discovery, and use of the moon, Mars, and other celestial bodies. Accordingly, the Secretary of State shall object to any attempt by any other state or international organization to treat the moon agreement as reflecting or otherwise expressing customary international law. Just so you know, the moon treaty right, um, is an agreement that governs the activities of countries on the moon and other celestial bodies. Now, the moon treaty, moon agreement, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, creates a jurisdiction and um, over the participant countries. So these activities that countries would do on the moon are governed by international law, including the United Nations Charter. Now, there aren't many nations that are party to this. Just so you know, the parties are like Armenia, Australia, Australia, uh, Austria, uh, Belgium, of course, Kazakhstan, of course, Kuwait, Lebanon, Morocco, of course, that's the birthplace of Barack Hussein Obama, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Uruguay. Now, signatories to it, but not ratified is France, Guatemala, India, and Romania, which is really bizarre. So the only reason that the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom, the US and China haven't signed on it is because they self send their own people into space. So why is this important? Well, this is very, very important disclosure wise, but it is very, very important for us to understand where we're going with this. We had the first executive order in December of 2017. We finally created Space Force, so you know where we're going with this. And it should all be coming to fruition in 2021 because 2020 is the year of Africa. This is coming to fruition. We are starting to see exactly there's so much light being shed on that sector. And we all know Africa is what, where they experiment, where we have diseases, where we have malaria, where they said AIDS came from, where they said everything is coming from is all coming from the dark continent that has no power 
So considering that I'm out of time, I thought I'd drop that little snippet for you guys that are sitting at home, maybe Google a few videos, maybe Google a few documents, maybe read over the executive order. On that note, I want to wish you all strength and love. And I'm in it with you. We're, we're here with you, all of us from Red State. And um, we understand the struggles and we're there in the mood with you. And um, until tomorrow, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay away from Karens. And don't forget, tomorrow we're going to be talking about 5G. So uh, it'll be an interesting show. It's something that I know a lot of you have been asking me about. And I'm like, no, I'm not ready to talk. I think it's time to talk because we're going wacko. Have a wonderful evening. God bless. Mm-hmm.